Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, we just uh, we were just sitting together at the uh, Oilers game there a few minutes ago. Yeah. Was it a fun game? It wasn't. It was a bit weird. I was expecting a maybe a, not many players in at the rookie camp today for the Billy Moore's Cup. So I was expecting maybe a three on three full ice. Right. <laughs> what they did was they had kind of a half ice game, mm-hmm. three on three, three different teams playing a half ice game, and it was and it was interesting. I mean, I I don't think it highlighted the talents of certain players like um, right. uh, Broberg and um, Ryan. Uh, is it Ryan McLeod? Yeah. Ryan McLeod, yeah. <laughs> There's the other, his brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it, it, it high, like McLeod was so dominant last year up and down the ice, mm-hmm. but it was more of a half, half ice game. And uh, those players that can really fly up and down the ice were less noticeable than I think they would have otherwise been. Bruce, let's just go up and down the list. Let's, let's go down the list and talk about uh, the various players in the game. Sure. I thought it was a wise co- choice by the coaches. I think that would have, a full ice would have quickly degenerated into a breakaway con- contest, you know, chipping pucks out and guys winning races and going as you often see in scrimmage conditions. Whereas this, uh, the emphasis was not on chipping pucks out, but definitely on getting the puck out under control or you couldn't change off uh, or couldn't change possession of the puck either. So the, the defensive team was under uh, way more pressure than simply to chop the puck out and let someone race onto it. They had to get it out with control. So it wound up being, a, 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 I think, the more straight-up game that they played. Very low-scoring game. I mean, they were playing 12-minute games, but, uh, you know, 1-1, 2-2, 2-1 to one, two to two, two to one, uh, kind of games. And the championship game was 4-4 four to four in four periods, uh, four four-minute periods. Uh, and that was the most wide open that it ever got. So uh, I think under the circumstances, um, like you say, it would have been nice to see full galloping speed out of Philip Roberg that we never really saw all week. We just saw tastes of it. And, uh, you know, it would have been nice to have some opportunity to see that. But uh, 16 skaters is not a lot to be putting on a on a full, uh, full ice show for an hour and a half. That's true. All right. Uh, <coughs> Evan Bouchard, Bruce, I, I mean, halfway through the um... – Halfway through the game, I think I turned to you and said he's going to be on the Oilers about halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said that was I noticed again what I've been noticing with uh, Evan Bouchard is just his incredible dexterity with the puck and uh, coolness, cool heads, cool hands. I mean, he, he he does remind me a lot of Justin Schultz, you know, who is also a very calm and cool player with the puck, except Bouchard has a much, much better shot than mm-hmm. Schultz ever had. Schultz had kind of a muffin from the point, not a dangerous shot at all, where Bouchard has both a rocket and a, and a, and a knife. Like he, he can either rocket it in or he can kind of knife it in <clears throat> with surgical precision and, mm-hmm. and to put it on someone's stick for a deflection. But I just, I am so impressed with the, how cool he is when he has that puck. And so the issue is, is, isn't, I don't think the issue with him is skating anymore. He's, I think his skating's fine. The issue with him is, is his defensive positioning right. and intensity. And his gap control, his knowledge, his experience defending mm-hmm. him. But I, I, I think probably by half the year, he, he may have that down in, in the, the farm team. 
And if so it's going to depend on how Joel Pearson does up in Edmonton on running the power play and other players, Clefbaum, running the power play about his development. But man, he's right. just, he looks like an NHL hockey player in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, calm, like very low panic point, eh? Love the yeah. puck on his stick, he'll draw the checker in and then he'll make the pass by him. And you know who he reminds me of as a passer? And I say this with tongue in cheek, but only sort of. Ricky Ray, uh, the former Edmonton Eskimos quarterback, had the ability to zip in hard bullet passes when the situation required, but also to change speeds on his passes and somehow just get the ball right in there, drop it over the receiver's shoulder at just the right timing. And the timing of his passes is exquisite. I, I think that's that's a real skill. Uh, you know, it's not everything all fastballs all the time, right? There, there's, he takes stuff off and he makes the passes easy to receive. And uh, he gets it into the place and the right time for the guy to either skate onto it or, you know, give him an extra fraction of a second to get open. And that's an observation out of the four days account and uh, not so much specifically out of tonight, although I saw some of those tonight. You know, he's not a, obviously he's not a perfect player and he, no. he, he is going to struggle defensively, um, especially if they play him too high the, up the lineup in Edmonton when he gets here. But if they just use him uh, in, uh, you know, put him in the AHL to start the year, obviously, give him at least, give him 40 games down there and then go from there. But, and then third pairing and power play time when he comes to Edmonton for the first, for the first year or two. But if he, if they bring him in that way, I mean, mm-hmm. I think they can, uh, he can acclimate to the NHL without having the, the fans turn against him in such vicious fashion as they did with Justin Schultz. Too many fans did that and uh, helped drive that player out of town. Through no fault of his own, he, he just was thrown in over his head like Caleb Jones was last year. He's, mm-hmm. Jones is here for a month and they got him on the first pairing. Well, what do you think is going to happen? And what did they think yeah. was going to happen with Justin Schultz? So I, I think they've learned, we've all, you know, the Oilers organization, if, they, if, if it has a collective memory, has maybe yeah. learned not to rush defensemen. I mean, they, um, although, you know, when I hear about them buying out Secker, I have some worries in that regard too. Well, well, here, we're here talk of them maybe thinking about buying out Secker and exploring the options. I, I'll panic the day that they actually announce that such a move has been made. Uh, anyway, he, uh, uh, the Justin Schultz comparison is a, is a decent one. Of course, Schultz was, I think, 20, two mm-hmm. by the time he got here and he was forced to play half a year in the hl because of the uh, lockout in the fall of 2012 and he was uh, absolutely but dominant as, as soon as he got called up it was straight into the top four you go justin we're not going to give you any time on the third pairing we're not going to slot you in on the power play and and try and shelter you a little bit it was yeah we're going to start playing you 22 minutes a night right off the hop and oh, yeah. And his partner was Nick Schultz, who was past it, you know, was well past his best before mm-hmm. date. And, mm-hmm. So, um, so Phil Kemp, what did you think of him, Bruce? I like Phil Kemp a lot. Uh, he's a big guy. Uh, he's a, a a very good skater uh, for well, for his size. But he's just a pretty good skater. Period. Uh, and I liked uh, what I saw in tonight's game that shines through in the, in the competitive situation with scrimmage was his competitive nature and his uh, ability to take advantage of little openings that took place out there. 
he's not my idea of an offensive player, but he was making things happen offensively simply by pushing the action and taking what was given to him. Uh, one play in particular that grabbed my eye was when he uh, <clears throat> when he won a race to a, to a loose puck and and stick handled across the zone with it and then wheeled and fired a pass back to where he'd come from to a guy that was wide open in the space that he'd left behind. And that was <clears throat> just a slick play of a guy that had a you know good vision of what was going on on the ice as a whole. There was um, one really uh, fine uh, Bouchard to Kemp to Broberg goal uh-huh. um, in the game, in one of the games. Um, that was and- Kemp that shot that one, eh, that Broberg tipped in? Yeah, Bouchard started it all off with an absolutely exquisite mm-hmm. cross ice pass to Camp, who fired it, then cross seam to Broberg, who tipped it in. Um, all game highlights, by the way, there's about a six minute video at the orders.nhl.com oh, cool. for people who want to see the actual plays that we're discussing, at least the scoring plays. I like uh, Kemp as well. He, he uh, He's a little like, you know, the Kevin Lowe uh, kind of game, rugged, smart. Uh, not exceptionally fast or skilled, but um, has some skill and some, some you know, he gets around the ice okay. I, I, you know, we'll see. He, he's got to obviously get more skilled and he's got to get faster um, to yep. play at the next level. And we'll see if, if his speed can pick up. I mean, it's going to be his skating, which is uh, the decider for this player because he's got everything else, but I don't know if he skates well enough. Uh, <laughs> and he ever will. But that, you could, you say, I could say the same thing about a lot of these players uh there's you know there's one big thing missing from their game right now yeah. so for bouchard it's you know his defensive play for camp it's his skating and uh for broberg it's probably his reading of the game um so yeah, still just 20 years old though phil camp and already through two years at yale so uh, uh seventh round draft choices go pretty darn promising yeah It'd be interesting. Like, he, who knows? Maybe we won't even get him. Maybe he plays all four years at Yale and becomes a free agent. Not yeah, that's student. very possible. Because, uh, you, you know, when you're at Yale, you don't want to leave early. You want to get the degree. Might um, as well. Probably. Uh, Michael Kesselring, Bruce, I was, I, I, was, I was musing on Twitter that if you didn't, if you went to that game and you didn't know who anybody was, and someone said, hey, that, the tallest, biggest guy out there, remember, what was he, 85? Mm-hmm. Easy order's first round draft pick. And mm-hmm. if someone told you that and you watched the game, you, you would believe them. Yeah. You wouldn't, I, I think, you wouldn't have said, oh, no, there's not a chance. That's in this, this is just a scrimmage. Doesn't mean anything really in the big scheme of things, except what it means. And, and, and what it means, it does speak a little bit about their talent right now and yeah. where they're at right now. Castle Ring was. He was, with the puck. he was fast. He was determined. He was smart. Like, he, he understood the game. Like, this game had certain rules. Yeah. Like, any game. It was its own little game, and he knew, like, he knew to, to take advantage of, like, the momentum swings in the game better than any other player. There was a couple times when he quickly grabbed the puck and rushed in on near breakaways because he was just more on the ball than anybody else. Got Smart hockey player and uh, good at protecting the puck, good at passing it. Man, I, I where did they get this guy? Like, I think he was, like, the seventh-round. Sixth-round sixth pick, sixth round pick last year, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's absolutely huge, David. I mean, they've they've got him listed now as six foot six, and they're saying two hundred and three pounds. But they're also saying he put on two pounds or two inches and fifteen pounds since last year, and I think he was the biggest guy in that camp. And he's just gigantic now, and uh, it just showed 
played with more pace and urgency than you normally would expect from such a big guy and pretty intense. He was pretty pissed off when his team lost in the shootout at the end, I noticed. And, uh, you know, just, just a little, you know, just a little bit of edge there, but I don't mind edge. And I don't mind big guys with edge and I don't mind at all big skilled guys with edge. And he's got, he's got some stuff going on. And now this is a guy who's still uh, 19 years old and just entering college. Does he have, uh, is he entering college this year? Yeah, he played for uh, two teams in the USHL last year, scored 34 points in 66 games, much better in the second half than the first. And then uh, uh, he's three years, he's got the same birthday as Connor McDavid, but three years younger. So he's 19 years old and four years at Northeastern ahead of him, as many as four years. And future's wide open, but this is a, like, Phil Kemp, I think they got two real players of interest that are, you know, going to go underground into the college scene, and we're not going to see them again all year. But uh, Kesselring was a fascinating player to watch last year, and this year, leaps and bounds ahead of where he was then. So, and like Kemp, he is a right shot D man, big and right shot Peter, man. Peter Shirley didn't do a lot right, Bruce, oh. but man, he stocked the Edmonton Oilers system with a lot of fine young right shot D man prospects. Mm-hmm. Bouchard, uh, Bear, these two dudes, Yul Pearson. Um, anyone else? Am I missing anyone? So good for Adam, Adam Larson. Adam Larson traded for one. <laughs> Matt Benning signed. So that was a, that was a huge and glaring problem. And between that group of players, you know, for the next five years, the order should be kind of set. Um, well, somebody, somebody works out. I mean, the, the problem is that all these times we've seen these guys who think there might be a player in there and then – for whatever reason, you know, they get hurt or something comes off the rails or, you know. I remember these caps back to, like, Drew Cherwanka yeah. on the ice and Martin Marinson and Pitlick and, and those guys. And, you know, and, and you know. Ryan Martindale. Yeah, Martindale. You have to put it in perspective. I mean, some of them, some of, like, Martindale looked good yeah. at one of these caps. I mean, Nail Yakupov, when he came to this camp, he looked like the second coming of Pavel Bure. For sure. I mean, it was just, he was just this unbelievably, unbelievably sublime offensive talent at this level. So, so this is, this is, this is the, you got to put everything yep. we say under that kind of proviso. Like it's, it doesn't mean much. So, but it's still fun. To but it'd be about. nice to think that one in three or one in four of these guys are going to work out, which is more the normal average than zero out of whatever, which. Well, Brandon Davidson always looked good at these camps, as you recall. Yeah, he worked out okay. He was a good player for a while. Merenson always looked good, and he didn't really work out in the end. I mean, Martin Gurnat never looked good. a couple hundred games, but, you know, I mean, not, not none of those guys, not, not Brandon Davidson nor Merenson nor any of those forwards we just named uh, or Tyler Pitlick ever really became a positive difference maker, you know, like no, David, played some time in the NHL, but. David Musil never looked good at this camp, though, I must say. And uh, Mitch Moraz never looked particularly good. There's lots of players who were there. I think Moraz was at these camps and never mm-hmm. looked particularly good. So it's better they look good at these camps than they oh, sure. than not. Let's put it that way. Not is the worst. So the the uh, the main course, the 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 first viewing for many Oilers fans live of Philip Broberry. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Broberg? Yeah, uh well, I saw him, of course, all four days, and uh, uh, in each of the days, uh, he his skating just 
kind of jumps off the screen at you, so to speak, that he's just at another level with the, with the skating ability and, and the speed. And even though we never did, like, say, see him in really full flight, we just saw a little burst, kind of, you know, blue line in in tonight's game. None of this, like we saw at the Linka Gretzky tournament last summer, where he starts with the puck behind his own net and he, he ends with the puck down in the other team's end of the ice. There just was no real, real call for that in the format of the drills or the thing. But the, the edge work and and uh, just the pace of play, uh, very, very raw. He's got a lot to do. He, but, he reminded but, me uh, physically of a young Darnell Nurse, kind of really tall, lanky, skinny neck, mm-hmm. super fast, mm-hmm. um, some skill, but not like transcendent skill. Like not like, right. you know, we're not, you know, not like Bouchard. He doesn't look like Evan Bouchard with the puck. He mm-hmm. looked good with the puck, but not great with it. Like he's, Bouchard is just so fantastic with it. He's kind of m- magical, you know, but uh, Broberg's not that, you know, he doesn't have, as we were like, we were talking about Nurse in that Jasper game, how he, he, oh, he yeah. probably, he absolutely leveled about six players with hits. No one was hitting this game. Um, you know, Darnell Nurse is... Matthew Cairns, he was hitting. He hit two guys and right. put them on their butt, but he was the only one. There wasn't really a hitting format. So Broberg, good first impression. Was, you know, he, he obviously, like Nurse, is going to take some time. It's mm-hmm. going to be uh, two or three years <laughs> before he's in Edmonton. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Cameron, he big. Yeah. You know, the first three days of camp, like I, I've not watched him shoot the puck, and I thought, you know, this guy's got a really good shot. That's really his standout skill. And then tonight they got in the scrimmage format, and holy moly, he was just fantastic. He had a great night, I thought. It was just all over the puck, dangling, agile, side-to-side uh, uh, control, you know, really used the width of the ice well, and just burned a couple of defensemen with great one-on-one moves. And use that shot. I think he scored three times uh, and had an assist by by my probably imperfect count, but I'm pretty sure he scored three goals in the in the three games that his uh, his team played, and well deserved. Like he was the most dangerous, consistently dangerous uh, forward, well skater uh, on any of the teams in this game. He, he's just he's the best fast. I've ever seen him. Last last year. He never really stood out at any time. And tonight it was just like, wow, where'd that come from? And that is true. Last year at the same camp, Cameron, he big did not stand out hardly at all. But he was the best player on the ice, and it wasn't even close tonight. Um, so he is also one of the oldest players. Like you say, he's the same age as McDavid. He's 22 now. And it's a really big year for him because he – so he was a, he was an overage junior, and then the mm-hmm. Oilers – he came into the Oilers. So um, – he had a kind of a great start last year in Bakersfield, and then he really tapered off. He and by the end, he was sitting out lots of games. But that's not uncommon for players. Who a lot of players have that kind of rough first year in the HL. Second year, they take off and they become NHL hockey players. That could happen to Cameron Hebig. You know, he's he's. It's going to be interesting because he. I think he's got NHL skill. Yeah, but does he have NHL smarts? And can he? Like, I don't know if he. I, he's probably not a top six player in the NHL. Right. So can he develop the two way game to be a, a third line or a fourth line player in the NHL? And that's the challenge for him. And he's got to kind of make get his head around that. Because um, like tonight's game was just all offense all the time, yeah. like making moves, not not passing the puck. But he has got to up the checking. The reading of the game, the uh, back checking, the forward checking becomes super solid defensively, 
and then also up his attacking, like get at least, you know, probably two points every three games this year. Is that like kind of a Gambardella kind yeah. of year? Mm-hmm. And uh, if he can, you know, there's no reason that Joe, Joe Gambardella is not a better player than Cameron Hebig in terms of skill. Um, no, so not it's skill, up, not pure skill yeah. wise. So it's up to Hebig to to bring to the game what Gambardella, who's two or three years older, uh, brought in. If Hebig can bring that this year, and I don't see why he can't, you know, we'll see. He might have a future. Yeah. You know, what we don't know is, is he one of these guys that one game in 10 that he's really feeling it and he's great. And then, uh, you know, it looks like a million bucks. And then the next night he looks like a dollar 75, you know, uh, but tonight he looked like a million bucks and we saw him, I don't know if I had his best, but probably somewhere near his best. Cause he really did have that puck on his stream. Raphael Lavoie. Ah, yes. That was an interesting night because we saw the, know, the, eh? the good and the bad, I think of this player. Cause is like we, we talked about Kessel Ring, Bruce, reading the game so well and, and mm-hmm. like reading the momentum shifts. Lavoie was the opposite. He 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 had some really great skill. But in terms of his like understanding of the, the particular kind of half court game they were playing and, and right. how it worked and you need to get out of the zone and like he made more mistakes than anyone out there. I counted at least three times where it seemed like he had a clear path to the blue line. Of course, once you get the blue line, you pass off to a mate and a fresh wave of your teammates comes in where he just fired kind of a hope pass, uh, you know, in the air to some teammate at the blue line. The guy had no hope in knocking it down. And by the format, that meant they didn't clear the zone successfully. They had to stay out there and defend. And, it, you know, it just didn't seem like he clued into the fact that, no, you got to get your head down and either carry that puck out or make a soft, safe pass to an open guy that he can do it. And, when they did shoot the puck out and weren't allowed to change, he kind of fell asleep a couple of times. And it was he that Kesselring walked right around and scored a goal off a rush right after a turnover of that type. So we saw a guy, well, let's say he's pretty raw at this point. And I In think some he's, ways, but man, he's got skill. Like, yeah, let's, let's focus skill. on the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's talk about the good he's stuff. He's huge, and he's got <laughs> all kinds of moves. Like, he really, hard to get the puck off the guy. A great shot, like a real... He's hungry to score goals. You can see that in this player. Like he really wants to score and he knows how to do it. He's got some skill. So mm-hmm. there's lots to like with this player too. Like he, it's, he's, he's an interesting package of, of he uh, scored. Attributes. He scored two in this one and he had one in the shootout at the end that won it for his side. Uh, but my favorite play that he made was not a shot at all, but it was a pass from shooting position where he had the puck in the high slot. It looked like he had a you know a real good chance on goal, but he saw Ryan McLeod sneaking in at the far point, and he fired a, basically a shot pass uh, that was wide of the post, but <clears throat> right on McLeod's stick for the easy tap-in. And that kind of awareness in the offensive situation was very impressive. He just needs to learn to apply that uh, in situations uh, uh, more defensive in nature. Uh, he's a project, but a uh, very enticing one to say big and and uh, and and skilled and right hand shot yeah he he has the talent to be a top six forward in the like a second or first line winger in the nhl he's got that talent but how much does he want it and how hard is he going to work for it and and uh, but these are the questions and that's why uh they're in the second round the draft they happened to ryan mcleod last year he dropped and 
Last year, when Ryan McLeod came to this camp, he was the the most kind of uh, eye-opening player on the ice because of his size and speed, just so impressive, charging up and down the full ice. In the half ice, he was somewhat less impressive, and he had a he had, he had a little bit of a habit to kind of when he got in tight to kind of reader the puck into the goalie's pads, Bruce, mm-hmm. shoot it right into the goalie's pads, a la T- Tobias Reader, and um, nonetheless, he he was he 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 and Lebois combined well in a lot of plays and. McLeod was buzzing out there and you know what I saw with Lavoie though like he was more like hungry to get into the middle of the ice to make a play than McLeod McLeod mm-hmm. likes kind of making the like the nice play <clears throat> so we'll see that's the question yeah, with him the knock, the knock on McLeod has been uh his unwillingness to go into the so-called dirty areas of the ice to get his nose dirty uh and we heard something similar to that uh, with um, uh, Scott Housen's uh, review of him on the radio earlier this week when he talked about uh, how McLeod was taking shortcuts on his roots in the defensive zone when he thought his mates had it under control. He was cutting out for the easy breakout pass, and he said, we really got to work on him to, to go deep and really support those defensemen and start from deeper in the zone. And we know he's got the speed to get back, you know, bring the puck up and into the play anyway. It's just a matter of, of uh, getting him hardwired into thinking, I got to, I got to play, you know, take the, take the deep uh, defense first routes. And, and really what I'm seeing with him is a three C and if he's going to be successful as a three C, he absolutely has to excel on the defensive side of the puck. Yeah. On the offensive side, a little bit of a lack of bearing down when the chance was there. There was one chance that absolutely had to go in the net that took a little extra split second to shoot, and then he shot it low and into the middle of the ice, and a pad flashes out and takes away what should have been a sure goal uh, just because it wasn't snapped home with authority, you know. And and uh, He's going to struggle to score at the NHL. Level. I, th- I think I mean, so too, yeah. That's the – come on, like this the, – he, that kind of high-level shooting skill just isn't there. So, uh, speaking of Billy, like this was the Billy Moore's Cuppers that they were playing for. It, one of the Billy Moore's is I think he has like eight, the ten rules or the eight rules of hockey. One of them is that when the forwards come back to break out the puck, you come back and you do a deep circle. Like you don't, you, you mm-hmm. come back way back in your own and then you build up speed. And that's what they're talking about with McLeod. Yes, doing, doing yep. that. So. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's that's why Billy Moore's is such an integral figure in the Oilers' mm-hmm. history, is because he was a, uh, a technical hockey wizard from the Claire yes. Drake School, and he and he taught a generation. He taught McTavish a lot about hockey. Mm-hmm. Taught all these guys a lot about hockey, and that's why the Cups named after him. A very uh, and Billy Moore's is a very uh, kind and generous man, and I can attest to that myself. He took time at one point. Um, both Claire Drake and Billy Moore's uh, sat down and watched hockey games with me. You know, we grade scoring chances, right? And part of my learning was sitting down with these two hockey greats and going over a lot of scoring chances and hearing what they thought about them. Like, you know, what should happen, what shouldn't happen, who's to blame, who isn't to blame. So I, I'm uh, grateful to Moore's myself. So. Yeah, I'm glad to see, even though he's no longer with the team, that they kept the tradition of this little, this little token. You know, I mean, it's obviously a minor thing, a development camp thing, but they've still got his name associated with it. And that's... Fine by me. I'm a big fan of Billy Morris. Let's leave it there, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening, everyone.
And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.